0: John, fantastic uh, chat with Trevor, who just completed the Hoka Hey. and um, I can't, I, I have to say that I could see that you were actually emotionally mm-hmm. uh, involved in this particular podcast. You know how I knew why? Why? Well, first of all, um, you didn't bite at my cantankerousness to try to uh, barb <laughs> you a little bit, which you normally do. Um you were really interested in the heart of the story here and you and you drilled down well and i think you tapped into something that we both sat here like with our with our mouth open it was fantastic to hear very meaningful yeah absolutely indeed
1: welcome to the behind the bars podcast where we discuss all things motorcycles memories and mayhem oh this is awesome sponsored by wilkins harley-davidson let's get this thing started here's john and mark On the line with us today is uh, someone very personal uh, to us, Trevor Bluen, who is a master certified Harley-Davidson technician, but also just completed the Hoka hey Challenge of 2022. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you. Mark. Uh, Mark came into this the first time ever in any of our podcasts and all of our episodes. He did not come in with any notes, but wh- why? Why didn't you come in with any notes, Mark?
0: Because I'm in a cantankerous mood today, and I want to start off the podcast by saying, Trevor, how many days were you on the road? Um, for the Hoka Hay?
2: From start to finish, for the Hoka Hay was 12 days. From home, it was 21 days.
0: I don't think John um, Lyon would have lasted two days on the Hoka Hay ride.
1: Also, you don't want to you don't want to interview Trevor. You just want to insult me for this podcast.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: okay. as a
0: matter of fact, I do because. I think you you imagine yourself to be like, like the King Rider. No,
1: not yes. in comparison to Trevor. I don't. Well, clearly. Okay. Well, can maybe one on I take over this interview, and then maybe when you have a, a really good question, you can ask Trevor. <laughs> what First is, of all,
2: I don't consider myself a King Rider either. I'm just out there having a good time.
1: Okay. Well, what <laughs> for those of us that don't know what the Hokahay is, what how would you describe the Hokahay?
2: The Hokahay is a 10,000-mile motorcycle challenge. Um, use no GPS; it's all handwritten directions. Uh, you don't get to stay in hotels; you have to sleep on the side of your bike, um, and it's all done for charity.
1: So, so you had a charity. What's the name of the of your charity? The charity
2: I did was uh, for the love of dog Rottweiler rescue out of New Hampshire.
1: Okay, and so you formed this. You you elected this charity, and and you so you chose a charity. And then you basically, you're, you just have to get on the bike and ride. Yep. Um, and what is, what is Hoka Hay? What is, what does that mean?
2: Hoka Hay, uh me, it's a Sioux word for a uh, statement for saying um, it's a good day to die. Okay. And what they mean, what he mean? What the uh, Jim Red Cloud, who has started this, the Hoka Hay, what he meant by that is that if you live your life to the fullest and you die today, you lived a life worth living, huh. and that's where that came from. In
1: and, and this endurance challenge, people die. Yes. I mean, I, I, th- I think every year. I mean, I, I don't know every year, but, I mean, it's been going on for quite some time, right? Yes, sir. I yep. mean, years, and, and riders die.
2: Yep. Uh, we had two pass away this year.
1: And, and this, <clears throat> that's not enough to – that didn't dissuade you? Your family didn't did – they, did, they, did, they, did
2: they talk to you about this? My wife was nervous. Uh, about a month before I left she's like no you're not going she's like I changed my mind she was kidding but I she was nervous my family was nervous um, they constantly were checking in on me but um, I never th- even thought of that the whole time it was never even crossed my mind uh, I had it was just such a good good time i just felt like I was out riding my motorcycle I mean it was no different than when I ride around here it was just that that feeling of being on your bike
1: how, how, how long you been riding Trevor
2: uh since I was very young my dad bought I had a mini bike when I was 6 7 years old probably and um I've been on the road for whew, probably 30 years anyway
1: What what inspired you out of the I mean was this out of the blue or what inspired you to do the Hokkahe?
2: When we were the last checkpoint for the Hokkahe, getting to see the riders come in um we we were open 24 7 and seeing the the look of determination on the people that were coming through but even more on the people that were coming through towards the end seeing that they were how tired they were but they were still persevering and finishing this challenge i just wanted to be part of that
1: so that was what 2001 2020
2: it was 2020 Uh,
1: 2020 when we when we had at the dealership here when they rode through and the dealership had to be open 24 hours a day for several days and Trevor, you were one of the technicians that were kind of looking out for these folks that were riding through when they had problems with their bikes. Yeah. So do you feel like that gave you an, any advantage at all or like, or helped you build a plan? Like what was the, how did that work for you? Like what, what all of a sudden just sparked an interest? You saw the determination of these folks and even the people coming through last, That like you say, you know, they were just going to finish. And all of a sudden, was it that day, that week? Like what, what, all, what? What happened?
2: It was that week. It was. It was. It was that week. I thought the the thought was there. I'd seen it in a magazine years ago, the first one, and I remember thinking, how did this work? You know, that one was for like a half a million dollars in Alaskan uh, gold. It was from the Keys to Homer, Alaska, and I was like, how does this work? So it was kind of you know interesting then. But then it went away. And then when we became that checkpoint, it was a it was a couple days later. I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. And then talking with other, you know, people I work with and stuff like other teammates about it. And it, it became, yeah, you know, this is something I wanted to do. But it, I think it gave me a little bit of advantage because it gave me, I see how tired people were. I see what they were going through. And it gave me two years to get ready to try to not be that, you know, to be a little more prepared for it than just signing up for it and getting, you know, chosen and then do it. I think it gave me that. I got to see how these people were feeling. Toward, and that was it, towards the end to try to, to just mentally prepare and physically prepare for it so that fatigue wasn't as bad.
1: You, you mentioned physically and, and mentally prepared. So, so you know, our listeners know, you know, we have a dealership here in, in Vermont and Trevor is our longest uh, term master technician, um, very talented, uh, very determined just in his craft. But those of us that work at the dealership, saw a side of trevor that he knows is there but maybe we didn't know was there trevor what are some of the things that you did physically that 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 i know that you did but what for our listeners like what did you do physically to prepare for this over the past you know past two years prior to the
2: hoka hey um a lot of calisthenics i started calisthenics uh, doing a lot of stretching um light weight um a lot, a lot of yoga uh, i started climbing uh mountains on the weekends. Um, walking home from work, I started doing that with a pack, started doing a lot of ruck exercises. Every night I would get home and I'd do a three mile ruck and it started with 10 pounds. I got up to like 30 pounds doing that every night. Um, even a lot of reading, a lot of pre- you know mental pre- preparation and with reading um, and doing a lot, lot of the rucks and the walks home were like a mental just to try to see you know where my wife would have picked me up at any time. I mean, when I would get half—that was a 12-mile walk from home, and it was five miles uphill, and uh, just pushing past that, and just getting that mental part that you can do this. This really isn't that bad, you know. It's just get. It, that was the yeah. Paper.
1: I mean, we, we we sat there watching Trevor on a on a after a busy day, put his pack on, and then walk home. And when you think about walking home, this is not, you know, just a couple of minutes down the road. I mean, this is. When you talk about 12, 12 miles, it's not twelve miles just straight. It's it's one of the steepest hills around here that you're going to drive on, um, Route sixty four. Yeah. Which you said, I mean, just getting up, going up up it is fine, but going down that was the hardest part. Is the heart is the hard part
2: down on your shins and yeah. knees and whatnot. I would get home at night and I'd walk through and I'd sit down and take my shoes off. It was. It was hard to stand up afterwards just because my my sh- knees down would hurt so bad.
1: Do you, you were in the military, Trevor? Yes. What
2: branch? Marine Corps. And do you think that that played a role in this? Yes, that gave me. I think that going back, that was the whole a lot of the mental part of it too. It was just it's not so bad. You yeah. kind of just laugh at it. You know, you just whatever, keep yeah. going, embrace the suck, as they would say.
1: Yeah. One thing that I think, you know, I mean, as someone that is here at the dealership and having known Trevor for for over a decade, um, I I found myself uh, nervous on a regular basis, probably the week leading up, because you don't you don't want to see something happen to someone you care about. Um, when you are riding, you know, we often talk about silence when you ride. Um, or at least i i reference silence you know some people play music and whatnot but but ultimately even with the roar of a motorcycle there there's there's a piece of silence not everybody's able to do that right we're, we're used to um things keeping our attention and whatnot how did you deal with the silence while you were riding down on you know
2: down the road i did a lot of thinking a lot a lot a lot of thinking and i'm not i can get even personal with this I teared up a lot, had a lot of thoughts. Like it was just a lot a lot of thinking. I don't they say the hockey changes you because of this, you find out who you really are and I, and I believe that 100% because you're in those moments and you're seeing a lot of stuff but at the same time. Like you said there's a lot of time. I was doing 20 hours a day of writing. That's a lot of thinking. Um it's 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 hard to explain it. It's it's really it's it's really hard to explain. I guess it's one of those things you have to experience that time out there to, to actually explain it. It's it's really hard. I, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. There was a lot of a lot of thinking, just a lot of, and you come back and you just feel so good because you feel that you don't you're not worrying about you know the everyday life things. You're on your motorcycle. You're feeling a sense of freedom that I don't think you could feel unless you're doing that. I've never felt it before in my life. You just you're just out there, you know. It's raining on you. It hailed on me. I loved every minute of that. It was all part of the experience, and I think it's just that that feeling of there's nothing binding you. You're just out there, just you and your motorcycle.
1: And you were riding a a, a low rider. Yes, a Dyna low rider. Yes, sir. For 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 our listeners that maybe don't ride motorcycles, why why did that make it even more challenging?
2: Every it was. I had the bike set up right. I really, I tried a lot of different things. That was part of the process too, was just trying and trial and error. I had the bike set up right, but it was a lot more of a process to do everything. I even lost a saddle bag after the desert. Um, so I was down to one saddle bag. So every time I had to get something, it wasn't as easy as opening a tour pack or hard bags. I had to take three things out to get one thing and put three things back. And when you're trying to keep moving, that's a whole process and everything has to be back exactly the you know perfect because you don't have the hard bags i didn't have all the storage the comforts of a big touring bike
1: also the gas tank oh yeah
2: yeah gas tank was different too. a six six gallon tank would have been nice especially a couple times when the gas light came on and you didn't know if there was going to be a gas stop and one of the directions is uh le nevada it actually said on the directions not another gas stop to 175 miles so that was kind of I brought it down in RPMs and I was going like 2200 RPMs the whole time just to so my gas consumption Just to conserve wasn't. fuel. Yeah, it was, it was but that I felt that was like part of the game.
1: Did you know that you might have to do that?
2: Just that one
1: time it was Well, but you didn't know you don't you don't know the route before nope. you get there. So literally you show up, you get the direction, you realize, okay, I have to get yep. from A to B. And that's a, that's a distance with, with lower fuel.
2: Yeah. And a, and funny, funny thing is the first two days after I was done the second day, I was asking myself, where can I cut time? And it was gas stops. I felt like I was going, stopping for gas too much. No. <laughs> Cause a couple of times I was nervous because I wasn't, didn't stop for gas. And I was like, Oh, but it worked out. I never ended up running out of gas, but a few times it was close.
1: Did that impact you in an, at all, like a negative manner, like where you were like worried or
2: no. No, I, you just I wasn't were so
1: much in the zone when they talk about being in the zone you were you were literally in the zone for yeah. the, the 10 12 days of
2: yeah nothing nothing seemed to bother me it was just a weird even that i got a little nervous but I was like hopefully there's a gas stop up here you know you just kind of laugh at it because there's really nothing you can do about it yeah you know until you worry about it if you run out of gas and i never had never had that happen which was good you know I never had no breakdowns i had no no problems everything was smooth
1: why do you think that your bike i mean you, those of us that know what you did, but I mean, for our listeners, what did you do to your motorcycle to make sure that you didn't have the breakdowns or, or the potential issues that could pop up?
2: My engine, um, the only thing was that wasn't new in my motor was the cases. I went through, I did the crank, I did, replaced every bearing. I did a motor kit just for everything to be fresh, cylinders, pistons, everything was brand new. Um, I went through the chassis. I replaced my swing iron bearings. I replaced my neck bearings. I replaced my wheel bearings. Everything that I could replace, I think I think some of it I didn't even really need to. It was just the peace of mind of actually replacing it, like belt and stuff like that. The belt was still fine, but put a new belt on it. Um, Roscoe, my coworker, he was, every time I'd ask him, he'd be like, I would, I would. I don't think he ever told me no. And it, it, I'm glad he didn't because I was left with the peace of mind of knowing that there was nothing else I could really do to my motorcycle and, if it happened then it wasn't really out of my control sure and it was just another thing you didn't have to worry about what
1: what, before you left what was your biggest i know i know you you know you were like we just talked about in the zone but what would you say was your biggest concern if there was
2: one up to it before i left i didn't have any concerns like the last month there was nothing but up to that point, up that last month it was just the whole fear of the unknown I didn't know because I'd done a little section of the last one from here to Florida so I got a little taste of it but I was tired at the end of that but I hadn't prepared at that point and it was just a lot of the fear of the unknown you know what if I did break down you know what if this do I know where I'm gonna be what happens if I get lost and it was all those things but that kind of went away about a month before I just felt that I was I wanted to go I was Mm -hmm. ready to go so I didn't really have any real fears
1: one of the things that uh i think still bothers me but had a spiritual side to it was the loss of your jacket yes talk talk to us about that
2: and the spiritual piece of of that 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 still bugs me and i think that'll bug me the rest of my life that that was like that day it felt like so what happened trevor what happened was um i was going too fast not too fast speed wise but not taking my time like resting and checking my stuff Um, because you had a strategy i did
1: strategy was every day at midnight yep you were you were done
2: done by midnight up on the road by four yeah and so this one day i was i just got caught up in the moment i wasn't i wasn't even drinking water enough i wasn't i got off my plan and every time i stopped i would check my gear and i wasn't doing that and i see I i was in right on the texas um new mexico border i see that my jacket was gone and i pulled over and a gentleman pulled up beside me on this truck and he says you just lost your jacket and stuff back there I said how far he's like about half a mile I was like, thank God so I turned around and I went up and down that road for a good hour five miles up and down up and down up and down I couldn't find it and it that jacket 20 years ago I went up to my dad's I needed a jacket to go home and he let me borrow that it's, it's a it's a whole you know joke between us still you know he let me borrow his jacket I never gave it back to him you know and it just that that moment I felt I felt like like someone stepped on me like I was a can. You know what I mean? It crushed me. That was a, one of the worst feelings in the world. That that, that that I stopped, called my wife, and I was bawling. I'll, I'll, I'll admit to it, I was crying. But I was dehydrated. I wasn't eating. You know, Everything in my brain wasn't working right. And I think, to be honest, now it was a sign, and I did, I slowed down and I went back to my plan. Because if I would have kept going at that tempo, I put 1,030 miles on that day. And heat, it was hot. That was the first real hot day and uh, if i would have kept trying to do that i wouldn't have made it i would have burned out fast like within a couple of days fast i think and i think that whole thing happened it was a sign it was slow down get back to your get back to what your your original plan and i did and
1: it worked or even just that day alone a thousand 1, thirty miles is yep. wears on your mind and put you into potential you know dangerous situation exactly. just that that very moment right right um And, you know, every every so often since you've been back, we we all think about that. Right. And we think, you know, uh, will that be found? And maybe that's maybe maybe talking about this, maybe that um, someday that jacket is reunited with you, which would be pretty amazing. But I I am thankful that it brought you back to a plan. Exactly. and I look at that that way.
2: I look at it that way, too.
1: Mark, do you have any observations on this Okehasis? Well, you're such an amazing rider.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just curious, Trevor, about... So you're, you're riding uh, 20 hours a day. When midnight comes, you're exhausted. So how do you bed do down and get some rest? What were your arrangements to do that?
2: The first couple of days, it was interesting. Like My first night, I was coming into Minnesota, and it was kind of neat. It was a big airfield, so there lights flashing everywhere. And I was like, i got to find a place to sleep. And I hadn't, I could see lightning over here, you know, a little bit of flash, and I was like, wow, where are we going to go? And I pulled into a gas stop. It was a, it was a loves gas, um, truck stop. And I'm getting gas, and I look over, and I see a couple other Hoka guys setting up a couple tires. So I said, I'm going to stop here. And that was my first night trying to find a spot, and I was out like that. I don't know if it's because there's other people there, and the rest of the time, it was around 11 30 i would start thinking i gotta look for a spot and i never had a problem it seemed like as soon as i set that little car up take me about 15 minutes to get everything and i had everything ready for the next day so it was easy to go back together i was out i suddenly and i slept good the really? one night it was in oregon it was the only night i got rained on i was near crater lake in oregon and um I had a rain fly, because I didn't bring a tent. I took a rain fly, I tied it to my handlebars and my backrest, and I pulled it out, put stakes in there, and I had to curl up a little bit more, but I slept like a baby. Wow. There was a little bit of time that I got to sleep, it was instant, it was as soon as I laid down, I fell asleep, I never had a problem. Which, that was one kind of a worry when I left, you know, especially, you know, cruising like that all day to turn the brain off, never had a problem.
0: So what did you do to nourish yourself? I mean, I know that you had you had brought a bunch of f- f- freeze-dried food, I think, yes. right? So
2: how often did you stop to, to- to eat. I even had that everything was so scheduled. In the morning I would go to a gas station right off and I would get a couple big bottles of water um, a couple protein bars and I would try to, the first few first few days it was easier but the slower you got in the, the more rural areas it was a little harder to get. But I would get some type of fruit like a muscle milk, you know something like that and have for breakfast. Um, sometimes you get a breakfast burrito, you know something like that but then first gas stop I'd pull up I'd take a bite of my protein bar, put it on my seat, swipe my card, take another bite, fill it full of gas, take the final bite, and I was gone. And then at lunchtime, around noon, one o'clock, I would eat one of the bagged meals that I had. I wouldn't cook them, and everybody laughed. Dan gave me an actual cooker. I never used it. I just put water in it. I'd let it sit for a couple minutes, and I'd eat it. And I'd do the gad again at seven o'clock. And it worked. I was never, I never felt hungry. I never felt, it always gave me, you felt the energy because they were backpacker meals, so they were kind of made they were loaded with carbohydrates and protein to keep you going. But it worked good until about day 10. <laughs> I eat one of those things at day and I was like, yeah, I don't know how much longer I could do this. But yeah, that's pretty much what I did. Uh, one night, where was I? In Washington State. It was the first night I voided away from the bags and that was probably a little over halfway. And I got a sandwich and boy, that sandwich was good. Darn good, right? It was real good, yeah.
0: Well, when you set out, um to, to do this. I, I believe I, you told me that you you know you weren't shooting to win this thing. Nope. I mean you didn't you, you weren't trying to do that but you did set some of your own goals that would be, make you a winner and tell us about that.
2: My goal was for 14 days because that puts you uh, as an elite rider it was uh, from 10 to 14 days. You can't finish it before 10 or you get disqualified. Um, so my goal was 714 miles a day to, to get there on 14 days. The first couple days, I would hit 7.14 around seven o'clock at night. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what the weather is gonna to be tomorrow, so I'm gonna keep going. So the first day, I hit 900 and something miles. And then the second day, 900. And I wasn't having a problem hitting the 900. And then the third day, I hit the 1,000, but I would hit the 7.14. Anything over that was a bonus. So I ended up finished, uh, one day, my lowest day was 440 days. Uh, 440, uh, what was it, How many? Uh, I only did like 400, yeah, 440 miles or something like that, but I had my bike service and stuff that day, so I wasn't able to hit the actual mileage I wanted, but I had had the bonus hours, but I got, I finished, uh, 12 days. Awesome. Two days early. That's quite bit I forgot, they actually give you the right, the time and everything that when you get there, you sign a book and it tells you your time, but I can't remember what the actual time was, but. Yeah, finished two days early. And
1: this was what about two hundred riders?
2: Two hundred. I think yeah. I think it was. I think it ended up being like hundred and eighty something riders. Okay, and you started. were number forty something. Forty six.
0: We yeah. were many of us here at the dealership uh, and, at, uh, at, and at home too were watching you on a screen. You were a little blip, a little dot that was moving across the country, uh, and I was thinking about you and the pack of dots that were around you, and I wondered. Early on, yeah. Early on, early. it was in heavy
1: in the pack, yeah, and then.
0: Broke loose. Broke loose, and I was curious about what's the competitiveness of this, and is there a lot of support from the other riders that are in Holca What was your relationship like with the other riders?
2: It was it was pretty neat. Like I'm, I'm not always outgoing when I first meet new people. So the first couple days at the hotel, you kind of I kind of hung back. You know, met a few people, but when you're out on the road, it was interesting because a lot of the times you're playing leapfrog. You know, you would pass this person, pa- and you'd meet at gas stations and talk. And that's how you met a lot of people, was just at gas stations. If you were on the side of the road checking something or just getting a drink of water, people would come up and people you don't even know, you are a, right. you know, everybody always stopped, make sure it was your own ride, but at the same time, people would stop to make sure everybody was good. You know, and there was, there was more competitive, the more competitive people, I think, were way ahead. I mean, a lot of those guys were, I mean, some of them were camped out before the 10 days just across the finish line. Um, but you felt the camaraderie. There was a lot of camaraderie on the road, even though everybody, you know, it wasn't like stop and talk with you when you're on the side of the road, but they would slow down, thumbs up, yep, thumbs up, and everybody keep going, you know? So that you got a lot of that on the road. And I think that's where the Hokahe camaraderie came. And then, of course, meeting at gas stations, and at night you'd pull in somewhere yeah, I pulled into a Dollar General in New Mexico to crash one night, and I see three people, and they're like, "Welcome to the Hokahe Motel," you know, <laughs> just stuff like that was really neat. And then yeah. at the end, you know, the people that were there at the end, it, it was a good feeling. You met a lot of good people.
0: Do you feel that the experience changed you, Trevor? Yes, it did. How I do. So?
2: Um, I think when I first, I'll, I'll tell you, when I first got home, I was like, when I, on the way home, I was like, I'm going to do this again. Then when I first got home, I was like, you know what? I'm happy that I did it. I'd probably, I probably won't do it again. I'm going to try some other things. And then having this goal to work forward to two years and all of a sudden I was empty. And I think for the lat for a couple, a little bit, almost brought me into a, I hate to say it, but a little of a nothing depression. Mm. But then I was like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? It's time to do something else. So now I got plans to do, to try to do something else. And I think it's driven me harder. It's just, it's, it's just the beginning. That's I awesome. feel it's just the beginning. like. Um. yeah I got some plans awesome to, to try something some more stuff
0: good for you well we're, we're all super proud of you I uh, every day we talked about you here it's, um, to some degree where's Trevor how's he feeling Dan was a big reporter you got yeah. you oh, yeah. communication with Dan quite a bit Dan mm-hmm. was my coach that's right <laughs> yeah and he told us actually about the day that you lost your jacket and he uh, he knew that you had a setback and I, we all tried to reach out to you a little bit there and but it's just a fantastic story and you know it, Many of us talk about pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and never do it, and you did it, and it was pretty, pretty incredible. It
2: was, it, was, it was really neat to, to know. I, I didn't even realize how many people were watching me. Like, my, my tracker would freeze up. Next thing, John would always be the first one. You all right? And then Dennis Lorat would be like, you all right? Then my mom was like, "Why are you stopped?" You know what I mean? Then I was like, "Yeah, my tracker's froze out, so I'd have to." It was just neat to have that. Yeah. My mom's sending me pictures of my little nephew watching me on the TV, you know, on the screen and stuff. And then to come back and customers that I that I I, I can see I know their names and their and their bikes. I might not know, put coming in and telling me, "Well, wow, I followed you the whole time," and you know, it was just like, it was really neat. And then having the customers come in and welcome me back, and you know, and people people I don't even know on on Facebook messaging me saying, "Well, wow, I was watching you the whole way," and I was, there's a lot of people that were in it it kind of drove you you know when you knew that you know it just made you smile and you had everybody watching you. i stopped one time and one of a good friend of mine's like why you stopped having lunch and he zoned right in you could almost see (laughs) right where i was i was like wow this tracker is coming off like "Ah." (laughs) wow i went to an applebee's when i was in rapid city a guy i was in the service with. Says, oh how's applebee's i'm like how do you know i didn't realize that you could actually zone in that much and see is but it was it was very just the support having the support out there was you never knew. You weren't alone really, You've, I mean a lot of the days you felt like it, especially about a week in you start not seeing as many people. You know, the first couple of days you see people. But after a while, there's a few days when well, I'm either way ahead or way behind, I ain't seen anybody today. But knowing that everybody's watching you know, is just, you're never really alone.
0: So you allude to, to new challenges, are they similar? Are you gonna do um, some marathon riding again? What's next on the horizon?
2: I want to do some marathon running. Running, interesting, yep. wow. I want to see how that goes. Interesting. Just the walk, the walking, and getting ready for for this, the physical part. I really enjoyed it. You like to challenge yourself. Yeah, I want to try something like that. That's great. Well,
1: what a story. Yeah, it's a fantastic it's, uh, story. It, it, I I will say that I, I uh, w- uh, obviously everybody here was proud, but I was very thankful when he, when 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 we knew that he was back in Vermont. Right? That's true. Cause, like it was one of those things where there was just a little. Uh, constant pit in your stomach worry every single day and you zoom you zoom in and you see okay he's still moving still moving still moving still moving (laughs) right and uh you don't want to bug him because you know he'll respond and um he's got enough on his plate and uh but we're real proud of you trevor and what a story and uh you did it right you 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 inspired a lot of people with your prep um the way you you uh handled yourself leading up to this just incredible to the mental physical part is like it was almost like you like had a written playbook which we know you didn't but you built you this this really incredible playbook and you stuck to it and um y- you uh, made a lot of people uh uh wowed and just the prep right that was that was what was amazing just to watch you okay you know it's saturday and it's uh, he's been working since first thing this morning and it's busy 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 and <clears throat> Okay. See you later, and put his pack on and walk home. And we're thinking we can we can give you a ride, but we knew that's not what you wanted. So, just real real proud of you and really thank excited. You. And what a story! and um, We're excited to hear what you do in the future, and maybe uh, maybe we're gonna down the road do another interview on Trevor's next venture. Yes, sir.
2: I like to thank everybody too. I had a really good team behind me here. Dan was a great coach. He he knew a lot about the camping and the feeding and all that stuff. I had a lot of good I had a lot of good people behind me and I'd like to thank everybody for that.
1: Well, thanks for taking the time to share it with us, Trevor. Thank you. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars Podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on Wilkinsharley.com.